The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. All aboard! We're on the little train that goes from Jerusalem's Jaffa Gate and weaves through the sacred old city down to the Western Wall to pray. And we want to invite you to come along and support us financially so that the Jerusalem Channel can continue to move in the presence of God throughout this old city and throughout this nation. Thank you for supporting us, and we invite you to go to the donate page of our website, JerusalemChannel.tv. God bless you out of Zion. The word Zion is a place name in the Bible, often used as a synonym for the city of Jerusalem, as well as a synonym for the biblical land of Israel as a whole. In fact, when the modern state of Israel was created, some of its founders had proposed Zion as the name for the new state, rather than Israel, as thousands of Jews began returning to their historic Holy Land. After the First World War, this same region was known as Palestine at the time of Israel's independence. The forerunner to the UN, called the League of Nations, assigned Great Britain to control Palestine as well as Transjordan from 1920 to 1948. It's a complicated history involving the collapsed Ottoman Turkish Empire, the British, and now the Jewish people in their Muslim neighbors. The very existence of a Jewish state is a contentious issue for the world. Zion has become a nationalist movement for the Jewish people to recover their ancient homeland and is popularly known as Zionism. But there is also something referred to as Christian Zionism. Is there such a thing? And what does it mean for the churches today? Shalom, I'm Christine Dark. I believe Christian Zionism is a biblical end-time move of the Holy Spirit. But as the second coming of the Lord draws nearer, Christian Zionism will increasingly become more controversial because it's often targeted by anti-Semitic movements aiming to isolate the Jewish people and the Jewish state. The movement of Christian Zionism also needs constant prayer that the leaders involved will remain true to Holy Scriptures and committed to solutions that involve the welfare of all the peoples of the region, including our Christian brothers and sisters who have historically suffered much. But why is Zionism important to Christian beliefs? And why is this issue part of praying for the peace of Jerusalem? Many in the churches argue Zionism should only be an optional side issue in these last days on the very fringes of church policies. But we need to thoroughly grasp and understand the restoration that God himself is bringing about for his ancient people in the Middle East. Many scriptures are involved in this restoration, such as to name only a few, Ezekiel 36, 37, and 38, Isaiah 19 and Luke 21, 24. Zionism is a belief 
among the Jewish people concerning their national aspirations in the Holy Land, and Zionism has been promoted by well-known evangelical Christians for several centuries. These Bible believers understand that the return of the Jews to the Holy Land and the subsequent establishment of the State of Israel in 1948 were prophesied and were God's will in accordance with Bible prophecy. Making matters complicated is that even some religious Jews are not Zionists because they believe that only the Messiah can set up a Jewish state, and many of these ultra-Orthodox Jews remain steadfastly opposed to the current state of Israel. Now, the term Christian Zionism began to be used in the mid-20th century, replacing a former descriptive phrase, Christian Restorationalism. Whether called Christian Zionism or Restorationism, the movement means that some evangelical Bible believers actually anticipated from God's Word that He would restore the Jewish people in the last days due to the fact that God is a faithful covenant-keeping God and because there are so many Bible prophecies about the Jews returning to their historic homeland. The movement of Christian restorationism largely had its roots in 17th century England. Christian advocacy of the restoration of the Jews to their ancient land began following the Protestant Reformation, particularly in the English-speaking world, among the Puritans. It was common practice among Puritans to pray for a Jewish return to their homeland. When the Puritans fled England, they brought to America Christian support for Jewish restoration. For example, in colonial times, Harvard President Increase Mather, among many others, favored Jewish restoration. Later, the famous revivalist Jonathan Edwards also anticipated a future return of the Jewish people to their homeland. However, it wasn't until the early 19th century that Christian Zionism gathered political momentum. Evangelical Christian Zionists in England in the 19th century actually inspired this notion into Jewish circles, even when Jewish nationalism in the early 19th century was widely rejected by British Jews. In 1808, a Presbyterian preacher, Asa McFarland, declared that the fall of the Ottoman Empire was imminent and would bring about Jewish restoration. David Austin of New Haven, Connecticut, spent his fortune building docks and inns from which the Jews could embark to the Holy Land. And in 1825, winning widespread Christian backing for his project, was a Jewish man, Mordechai Manuel Noah, who wanted to found a home for the Jews on Grand Island in New York as a way station to the Holy Land. Likewise, Restorationist theology was among the inspirations for the first American missionary activity in the Middle East and for mapping the Holy Land. Well, as the demise of the Ottoman Empire appeared to be approaching, the efficacy of Jewish Restorationism increased. Irish theologian John Nelson Darby gave a series of 11 lectures in Geneva in 1840, and his teaching spread far and wide. Then Darby's visit to the United States was a catalyst to the cause at the Niagara Bible Conference in 1878, 
which issued a proclamation relying on New Testament scriptures that the Lord Jesus will come in person to introduce a thousand years of his rule from Jerusalem. Israel shall be restored to their own land and the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Darby taught that this is the blessed hope set before us in the gospel for which we should be constantly looking. Curiously, in 1844, there was a George Bush, a professor of Hebrew at New York University, who was an ancestor of the President's Bush. He published a book entitled The Valley of Vision, or The Dry Bones of Israel Revive. Bush advocated that allowing the Jews to return to the land of Israel would benefit not only the Jews, but all of mankind forming, he said, a link of communication between humanity and God. The return of the Jews has certainly benefited the world already as we just look at all of the medical and technological wonders alone that the Israelis continue to produce. And then there was the American tycoon, William Eugene Blackstone. He published a book called Jesus is Coming which was translated into Yiddish. In 1890, Blackstone organized the Conference on the Past, Present, and Future of Israel in Chicago, where delegates included leaders of many Christian communities. Resolutions of sympathy for the oppressed Jews living in Russia were passed, but Blackstone was convinced that such resolutions, even though passed by very prominent men, were insufficient. So he advocated strongly for the resettlement of Jewish people in the Holy Land. In 1891, Blackstone lobbied President Benjamin Harrison for the restoration of the Jews in a petition signed by 413 prominent Americans. It became known as the Blackstone Memorial. The names included the American Chief Justice, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, the chair of the House Foreign Relations Committee, and several other congressmen, as well as famous industrialists. Ideas favoring the restoration of the Jews in the land of Israel entered British public discourse in the 1800s. Although British thinkers had written about the restoration of the Jews as early as the 16th century, because as I said, the idea was strong amongst the Puritans. Many Protestants were strong advocates of a Jewish return to their homeland, including the British so-called Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, as well as famous preachers Andrew Bonnard, Robert Murray McShane, and Anglican Bishop J.C. Ryle, one of my favorites. A number of important figures within the British government advocated Jewish restoration, including the Earl of Shaftesbury who wrote to the British Prime Minister urging Jewish restoration as a means of stabilizing the region. A slogan that became popular with Christian restorationists was a land without a people for a people without a land. Lord Arthur Balfour made the famous Balfour Declaration in November 1917 on behalf of the British cabinet. It was a public statement during the First World War, announcing support for the establishment of a Jewish state. And in more recent times, there have been too many to name, but examples of Protestant leaders combining political conservatism with 
Christian Zionism have been the late Martin Luther King Jr., evangelist Jerry Falwell, and Pat Robertson. In fact, Falwell said in 1981, to stand against Israel is to stand against God. He said, we believe that history and scripture prove that God deals with nations in relation to how they deal with Israel, citing, of course, Genesis 12:3. At the third International Christian Zionist Congress, convened by the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem in 1996, a proclamation was issued which stated that God the Father Almighty chose the ancient nation and people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to reveal his plan of redemption for the world. The Jewish people remain elect of God, and without the Jewish nation, God's redemptive purposes for the world will not be completed. The proclamation said Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah and has promised to return to Jerusalem, to Israel, and to the world. Further, the statement declared that Christian believers are instructed by Scripture to acknowledge our Hebraic roots of our faith and to actively assist and participate in the plan of God for the ingathering of the Jewish people and the restoration of the nation of Israel in our day. However, in 2006, many traditional church denominations in the Holy Land published a Jerusalem Declaration on Christian Zionism in rejecting Christian Zionism as substituting, in their view, a political program in place of the teachings of Jesus. Furthermore, the General Assembly of the National Council of Churches in November of 2007 approved a resolution for further study which stated that the theological stance of Christian Zionism adversely affects justice and peace in the Middle East and delays the day when Israelis and Palestinians can live within secure borders. The Church of Scotland, despite its restorationist history, has also recently been critical of Zionism in general. Well, in defending Christian Zionism, David Pawson, a teacher in the United Kingdom, put forward the case that the return of the Jews to the Holy Land is a fulfillment of scriptural prophecy and that Christians should support on theological grounds the existence of the Jewish state, although not unconditionally its actions. Paulson also argued that prophecies spoken about Israel relate specifically to Israel and not to the church, as in the era of replacement theology. Well, from reading scripture from cover to cover, it's my view that the church, out of gratitude for our Judeo Christian heritage must unconditionally love the Jewish people. We must always fight anti-Semitism and continually contend for Israel's right to exist. After all, it's the only Jewish state in the world. We must also faithfully warn our precious Jewish elders, our biblical patriarchs, whom the New Testament calls beloved in Romans 11:28 that they are expecting a false messiah every day and many in Israel will be temporarily deceived according to the prediction of Jesus himself in John 5:43 and so if christian zionists whitewash this end time truth then we're not being faithful to the whole tenor of scripture 
and we're not being honest friends to Israel. Now, many skeptical Jewish people surmise that we only care about them because we know that in the end, they will eventually receive Jesus, Yeshua, when he returns. However, a true Christian Zionist doesn't see the Jewish people as a means to an end. That's because we unconditionally appreciate and respect God's election of the Jewish people due to the tremendous spiritual debt that we owe them and simply because our hearts love whom the Lord loves. As intercessors and watchmen, we must be diligent to pray that Israel doesn't make any decisions that will come back to bite them and harm Christians as well. So let's pray for unity among the people of the book, Jews and Christians. After all, Jerusalem, Mount Zion, is where the gospel of Jesus originated, not as a Western religion, but as a continuation or completion of the Jewish faith, and where the gospel will culminate with his second coming. In further understanding the importance of Christian Zionism, I want to make at least two important points. Number one, Jerusalem is destined to become the center of world revival, according to Bible prophecy, which is history written in advance. And secondly, praying for the peace of Jerusalem is part of the gospel of Jesus because it's connected to his second coming. You see, it's to Jerusalem that Jesus will return and set up his millennial kingdom. Therefore, I encourage you to invest in praying for the peace of this city. The return of the Lord to Jerusalem is a glorious event for which we have been preparing with many open-air gospel meetings on the Mount of Olives and elsewhere for many years. The Mount of Olives will be the location for the greatest drama of history. In fact, Zechariah 14.4 declares in that day his, Jesus' feet, will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. So I prophesy to Jerusalem, you are uniquely promised an outpouring of God's revival. According to Zechariah 12.10, the Lord promises, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, for they shall mourn for him as one mourns for his only firstborn son. Please notice that this prophecy pinpoints the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Zion, not Tel Aviv, not Haifa, but Jerusalem, Zion, will receive this great Holy Spirit outpouring. The Lord will pour out his spirit on Jerusalem, the head, the capital, just as the anointing oil was poured upon the head of Aaron, the high priest, and the holy oil ran down to the bottom of his garments. So likewise, the outpouring of God's spirit upon Jerusalem will flow downward to this nation and to all nations. That's why it's so important to prepare the revival in Jerusalem. Can you see that? Can you therefore see why there is a Bible command to pray for the peace of Jerusalem? Psalm 122.6 says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and they shall prosper that love you, Jerusalem. Jesus, Yeshua, is our example. 
He not only prayed for Jerusalem, but he manifested a deep intercessory longing to gather Jerusalem as a revivalist wants to gather her. He cried out in Luke 13, 34, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. But you wouldn't have it. Behold, he said, your house is left to you desolate. And I say to you, you will not see me again until you say, Baruch haba Shem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so we pray for the church to comprehend this, to receive revelation of the glory of the coming revival in Israel and the privilege of praying for it. The world's greatest revival is yet to come in Israel, and we're so near to it. God help us then to prepare our nations for revival before it's too late. You see, God does favor the return of the Jews to the Holy Land at this time, as does Jesus. It may not be politically correct, but it is biblically correct. And if you don't like it, your argument is with the God of Israel. In fact, Jesus said in the New Testament that the Jews would be dispersed to the ends of the earth, but that they would return to recapture Jerusalem at the end of the times of the Gentiles. And that has happened in our lifetime. And so there's no other city like Jerusalem, like Zion, whose history has been written in advance in the Bible. Truly, Jerusalem is the hinge upon which the history of the whole world hangs. And Jerusalem will be the balance in which the Almighty weighs the nations. All who come against Jerusalem will be destroyed. The salvation of the world is tied to the destiny of Israel, to Jerusalem and the Jews. In fact, Jesus made an amazing theological statement in John 4:22. He said, salvation proceeds from the Jews. And in the meantime, Satan, the temporary ruler of this world, will do his dirtiest to prevent Jesus's return by attempting yet again to obliterate the Jews, to demonize them, and to sour world sentiment against them to the point that even national leaders will claim, as did the former French Prime Minister, Michel Rocard, that Israel is illegal and historic mistake. This troublesome city that is now a stone of offense to politicians will be the apex of renown. One of Jerusalem's future names, according to Bible prophecy, is the resplendent, the Lord Shama, meaning literally the Lord is there. Realizing the special place of honor that Mount Zion and Jerusalem hold in the heart of the Father and the Son, no believer can disregard the subject of Jerusalem or speak of Jerusalem and its destiny as if it's not of the utmost importance. Furthermore, Jerusalem is uniquely Jesus's city. Yeshua called Jerusalem the city of the great king. So how should we pray? The biblical command in Psalm 122 to pray for the peace of Jerusalem is imperative. It's not an optional prayer. Also, we must earnestly pray that the spirit of grace and supplication falls in Jerusalem as foretold in the prophecies of Zechariah 12. 
in Zechariah 13.1, which declares on that day, a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. And here's something absolutely crucial to catch. Jerusalem's watchmen must also thoroughly understand that this is the time for the Islamic harvest. It's not enough just to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and the salvation of the Jews. If we pray only for Israel, we're only praying for part of the picture. God wants to save many souls in the region. And so we must understand the power of prophecy and its creative force. God commanded the prophet Ezekiel to prophesy to the dry bones of the house of Israel. And Ezekiel obeyed because he received the revelation that when God commands and when he ordains a thing, it's accomplished by the spoken word. We're created in the image of God with the ability to formulate with our words and our prayers God's purposes in the earth. And so the time of judgment is passing. Israel has paid double for her sins. The judicial partial blindness that befell Israel is lifting because according to Psalm 102, verse 13, the set time to favor Zion has come. Hallelujah. Despite what the history revisionists are saying, Jerusalem has a unique place in the history of Israel, not shared by any other nation in the world. It was in Jerusalem that God commanded David to purchase ground destined to be the site of the temple. And later Solomon built the temple on this site. And God said to him, to Solomon in 1 Kings 9, 3, my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Furthermore, in the Torah, the Jewish people are mandated by scripture to make pilgrimage to Jerusalem three times a year. And no other religion is pilgrimage to Jerusalem mandated. Historically, Jerusalem has been the only capital of the Jewish people, both political and spiritual. The city has never been the capital of any other people throughout history. As a city, Jerusalem only became politically important to the Arab peoples after the Six-Day War of June of 1967. Previously, under the Jordanian occupation, Jerusalem never had the status of a capital. The rebirth of the state of Israel is correctly presented in Scripture as a unique event and without historic parallel. On one day in May of 1948, Israel emerged as a complete nation with all its functions, with an army, a navy, an air force, even if they had only one airplane, a parliament, a police force, medical and educational systems. There's simply no other nation in history that has experienced a similar rebirth. And the scriptures teach in Joel 3 that God will judge all the nations on the basis of the way that they have treated the land and the people of Israel. That passage says, for behold, in those days and at that time, God says, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage, Israel, whom the nations have scattered. They have also divided up. They have partitioned my land, God said. Well, Bible teacher Derek Prince of Blessed Memory once made a statement 
And he said, in the eternal counsel of God, he has determined to make Jerusalem the decisive issue by which God will deal with all the nations. And those nations who align themselves with God's purposes for Jerusalem will receive God's blessing. But those nations that follow a policy in opposition to God's purposes will be dealt with severely. So I hope this vital issue of Zion, of Jerusalem, and the matter of Christian Zionism has been adequately explained in this program and that you see the need to become actively involved in praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Well, if you have any further questions, you can contact me via the social media, and you can ask for our free newsletter, Exploits, at our website, exploits.tv, and you can sign up for our free magazine there. And don't forget to download our free Jerusalem Channel app to watch all of our videos on your phones or tablets at any time. And so until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Dar. Shalom and Maranatha.